everybody. This is Gabe Estel. Welcome to Rock and Roll Shinsu Chu. I hope everybody's doing well in 2020. I'm here with my co-hosts Dennis Levi Leach and Jonathan Getz. How's it going, guys? Amazing. Good, good. Amazing. Maybe 2020, but looking back, it's still a bit fuzzy. Yes. Amazing. I like that, Levi. Levi's going with the superlatives right in 2020. Um <laughs> Not many things are amazing. You know, there's always like so much more further you can go, you know? Yes. Spider-Man's amazing, right? Um, <laughs> but anyway, so uh, good to see you guys. We're going to um, go ahead and keep counting down. This is, I think, our fourth episode into this into this musical buffet here that we've musical music and baseball buffet that we've got. We're counting down our hundred, the hundred things we're most grateful for um, in rock and roll and baseball. Uh, we're in the 60s. We're having so much fun, we lost track of where we were. Um, but thanks for taking the ride with us. I want to remind everybody before we get started, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RockInChu. That's in, as in I might be talking about Neil Young later. Uh, and then also, um, I want to tell everybody to like us on Facebook. And then also, you can get every episode of Rock and Roll Shinsu Chu at rockchew.com however you listen to us uh it would help us if you left a review uh we're on you can apple Podcasts, uh stitcher you know google play music any of the podcasting apps that you use uh or youtube you can you can you can find us there so drop us a line please all right let's go ahead and, and kick this uh kick this pony show off here um i'm gonna go ahead and start with uh, something I'm grateful for, and I rarely do it anymore. Quite frankly, I, aside from my baseball game, actually, a baseball game is, I think, one of the areas, one of the one of the the kind of the two sort of hemispheres we deal in. Baseball is the area where maybe you might do this more because I think walk up tickets for baseball games are more common than walk up tickets for concerts. Probably um, is buying tickets in person. All right, I'm grateful for that. I, I admittedly, I don't do it any that, that much anymore, but I really miss, um, and I'm fortunate and grateful that all of us got to grow up in a time where, at least when we first started going to concerts, and I guess baseball games as well, but um, that we were able to, you know, go to a place and get a physical ticket. Um, you had to put some care into it. You know, you had to, for us, we grew up in a small town, so we had to drive about 25, 25 miles. Um, I have fond memories of going to the mall. There were ticket outlets in the back of Famous Bar and Bergner's. Yeah, they were tough uh, back there. Right by the gift wrapping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you guys remember, I, I'll keep it brief, but like Famous Bar or Bergner's, one of the two. Um, or maybe it was Montgomery Wards. I, I think it, I think they all had ticket booths. Um, quite frankly, I only remember um, burgers, but yeah, yeah. Um, they also had like a hair salon back there, and they had like a <laughs> like a big furniture section. You could get keys uh, made. Yeah, the Macy's has that still. Oh, do they? Uh-oh. Yeah, the, well, like the Macy's has that upstairs big furniture section, and you had to walk back through there to get back to where like the Ticketmaster area was. Right, and and for those of you who, um, just to give you a little bit of context, we're talking about Springfield, Illinois. So yeah, um, but yeah, this <laughs> we're, wasn't. We're but talking about these things that used to exist called shopping malls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but this this wasn't uncommon, you know. Like these big department stores had these um, these other services 
inside of yeah. them other than other than buying you know uh, hardware and and clothes and perfume and all of that you could also get tickets and um i uh that that was some of my earliest memories of getting tickets and then also as i mentioned um and we've talked about it on this show before and i i, I still say that we need to have him as a guest if he's still around um there was a record store in springfield called ricks and a um a very um god he was right out of central casting uh guy that ran it that i never saw without sunglasses it's kind of like the tommy chong character on that yeah. show yeah a little grumpy and he, dro- and he drove yeah. a hearse <laughs> he drove a hearse um ran a record store sold bootlegs that were like outrageously priced right? like, 60 bucks for double disc at least yeah, 60 bucks for double disc uh questionable quality with some of them DDRs, yeah yeah um and he, he was, was like, right ne- he was right next to penny lane which was kind of they complemented each other because Penny Lane, you know, was T-shirts and tie-dyes and incense. And it was a head shop upstairs. And um, Rick's was right next to it, like a little looked like a little garage almost. Right. Yeah. And um, it was it was heady times, man. I my fondest memory and I'll, I'll sorry, I'll pass it off to you guys. There was uh, when I bought my Kiss ticket, um, the Kiss reunion tour. Rick was a big Kiss fan. Uh, he, he was a really big Kiss fan. And, um, you know, they had the machine in there because, you know, sometimes he sold tickets. Other times I don't I don't know if he did. I don't know if this was something that he did all the time. But for Kiss, you had to go to Rick's. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was this was 96. So there was so much buzz around Kiss coming back. And I was so excited. And uh, I remember, man, there was a line probably there was a line probably like 50 deep at Rick's that oh, day. Wow. Um and I paid $43.25 for the ticket, which in 1996 I thought was an ungodly amount of money. <laughs> yeah. And I had killer seats. I was in like the 13th row. Nice. Um, yeah. But I was like, whoa, dude. And it, like I was telling people how much I paid. They're like, oh my God, $43 for a concert ticket? You're crazy, you know? <laughs> um, and now, like, that's like, that's like three beers at a concert. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, those I, I miss that. You know, I'm glad that all of us got to grow up experiencing that. Yeah, he was a Metrotix dealer, right? He like, was, yeah, right. So, yeah, like, which was St. Louis. Like all the places in the mall yeah. were like Ticketmaster. There you and, go. And he was Metrotix. He was so like he would sell some tickets to probably like Mississippi Nights and right, like, yeah, for sure. yeah. and some of the St. Louis yeah. venues. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I I had fond memories of that place. It's I I. Uh, I remember the Bergners and it's funny because you, when you're going to the mall to do that, um, like you said, it's right next to the, 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 the ticket outlet is, is literally like behind the same counter as the gift wrap outlet. Yeah. And it's might be like the same employee. Yeah. So you're so desperate to get these tickets right when they go on sale. And, but the fate of your experience is in how quickly this employee can finish wrapping yeah, the like sixty-five-year-old Gerald. And yeah, yeah, like median age sixty-five, seventy at least. Yeah, <laughs> try to find your ticket. Right. <laughs> and like, uh, you want these bows curled? It was like, anarchy. Shit, just wrap it. I need tickets. Yeah. But but that yeah. being said, one of my one of my favorite uh, and this just occurred to me. One of my favorite ticket buying experiences at a venue was the Hoyt Sherman Theater in Des Moines, Iowa, uh, for Government Mule, and. This was one of the first tours after Woody died, 
And it was uh, the Hoyt Sherman Theater was this awesome uh, kind of, I don't know, like Victorian house or something. And uh, I went into the 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 um, the office and it was just kind of these little old ladies. And this wasn't like right when tickets went on sale. So it was I was chill. And um, these little old ladies. And I, I said, excuse me, you know, I, I, I wanted to get a couple tickets for Government Mule. And they're like, oh, yeah, OK. And so they like go and get this this really nice wooden box and the tickets are in the wooden box, like already printed off. And I just like give them my money and they put my money in the wooden box and they close the box and they put it away. And, um, and so, yeah, those days are kind of gone. I went to a venue here in town a couple years ago to get tickets uh, for a show that they were going to have. And they said, sorry, we don't, we don't sell the tickets here. Like we can't sell you the tickets. Oh, uh, you okay. have to go online and get the tickets. You literally cannot buy the tickets at the venue right um which was kind of sad <laughs> yeah right sure. i i gotta admit you know i i i haven't um i'm not necessarily a loyalist to it you know like ordering them and having them mailed to me i i, I do get just tickets emailed to me you know and oh yeah via yeah an app it's i mean in some case like you mentioned in, in some for some shows it's the only game in town it's the only way you can do it um, and then for others, it is, I, I do cherish when I do get the physical ticket. Um, most of the time with fish we do, you know, cause we mail order. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of been able to, to hold on to it a little bit there. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's something that, that certainly I miss. Yeah. 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 I think it's becoming a, uh, going to become a lot more rare. Um, yeah. It'll be a lot rare. Um, also, you know, most venues, I think. The ones that do still do it issue a physical ticket. The ticket office isn't going to be open unless there's a show. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, there's yeah. It used to be like when I first moved to Chicago in like '03. I remember I rode my bike to the Vic to get Gomez tickets during, um, you know, like just like in on like a random afternoon, which like wouldn't yeah. happen today. Yeah. That was yeah, and that's even yeah. kind of late for that to happen. That was in yeah. like 2003. But um, yeah, that that certainly wouldn't happen today. That's like kind of like my last memory of sort of like just being like, oh, there's 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 somebody working at the ticket window just on you know, two o'clock in the afternoon. You know, right. it's yeah. yeah. So to, to that same end, uh, I did go uh, out to Kauffman Stadium, the Royals Kauffman Stadium on the uh, first uh, day of ticket sales, which was fun. One one year I did this like 15 years ago, maybe. And uh, just to see that huge crowd out there around the stadium, I don't know, it, like maybe February and yeah. uh, just, you know, waiting to get tickets to any random game that season. Yeah. And you could feel, you know, spring was coming. And, right. Uh, right. That, that was a nice uh, scene to be around. But I've only yeah. ever done that once. Yeah, I mean, I get walk-ups because, you know, I, I root for the team in town that a lot of people don't root for, so I'm usually a pretty safe with a walk-up. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it's a good way now to skirt the fees, you know? Right. You can Dave, do, do you that. remember that time that we walked up to get tickets at, at Kauffman when we were going to a Royals game, and, and they actually talked us down uh, into buying a cheaper ticket, and she's like, oh, just buy the cheapest ticket and go sit wherever. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> Because we were debating, like, yeah. you know, uh, do we get the loge seat or do we get the dugout plaza? She's like, She's oh, like, just ah, get the cheap keys one. keys to one of the private booths. Just <laughs> yeah. like, uh. yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> yes, definitely. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was um, when uh, 
when your when your expectations are low, you know, for uh, <laughs> for the team that year, you can you've got some wiggle room there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. the Royals were sucking uh, at yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> Those are the Jeff Jeff Francoeur years, you know. So. <laughs> if if that. <laughs> Well, yeah, um, good stuff, guys. Uh, n- next, I think I am next, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm going to talk about. Um, we'll keep the baseball edge going here. Um, one of the things I'm most grateful for growing up was the ability to go to card shops. And in our time, the three of us got to go to the main one in Springfield was B and J Coin Shop. Right. And then for a while, there was one in Petersburg that me and Gabe would sometimes go to. We would, like, walk downtown or ride our bikes to downtown Petersburg. Was it, like, in that little antique mall there, kind of, like? Uh, there were, the, yeah, there were a couple. Kind of I mean, were, you had you had the um, the one in the antique mall that you had mentioned, which had this really nasty carpet inside of it, I remember. Because <laughs> um, there, was, there was a restaurant. Yeah, in, in there yeah, as yeah. well, and you know the carpet had just soaked everything up over the years. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was disgusting. Um, <laughs> you know, like to the point where like you felt like you had to wash your shoes like after. <laughs> it's it really really nasty. Um, and then also there were murals, you know. Um, yeah, that's one of them. The yeah, but yeah, those were two. And then also um, there was another antique store that occasionally had cards too. Right. Chris Henderson sold some of his cards in there sometimes. Do you Race. remember also one time you and Race, I... Race, yeah. I, Race is the antique store. Anyway, go ahead. Or not and the, I once got, like, your mom to give us a ride or some, like, or, or Aunt Francine or someone. We were looking, I think it was, you were looking for the, is it the 90 Upper Deck Thomas where everybody thought he was, like, giving the finger, sitting on the bench? Yeah, oh, yeah, we, yeah. To, we, we found like a little tiny baseball card store like on Chatham Road uh-huh. and it was in like a little tiny like house type building. Yes, dude. Yes. And I like remember we, I remember this. And uh, wow. but like the, the B&J coin shop one, man, that was the place like yeah. anytime I had like free money to spend, I would usually try to save it up and go there. Cause it was like a double whammy for me. Cause I collected stamps too. So like they had Ooh. baseball cards and yeah. stamps and coins yeah. and stuff. So it was yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. Do you guys, do you remember any like classic BJ coin shop moments? <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I was loyal to Merle's in Petersburg and right. some summers, like way too much. I was probably there every day <laughs> oh, yeah. for two months. Oh, yeah. Same. Like it was, it was bad. Um, but it was fun, you know. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, otherwise, as far as epic moments go, no, not really. Um, it was just kind of the same old. And and you know, my my big, uh, you know, my big acquisitions were calculated. Um, you know, maybe go to a, a card show to find like a Clemens rookie that I was, yeah. that I was in search yeah. of. And yeah, and, I went to a few card shows at the holiday in East or yeah. West in Springfield. Yeah. 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 You'd see, you'd find those in the, uh, those ads in the newspaper. So you'd right. get all psyched about the show coming up. Totally. I could yeah. remember being, um, honestly, I probably would have been like seven or eight years old. But we used to go down to St. Louis a lot, especially during the holidays, because they would have the big fancy malls down there, like Westport Plaza and all, 
You know, right. when all these malls were like new and clean mm-hmm. and fancy and everything, right. we would do a lot of our holiday shopping there. You know, we'd go down for like a weekend in November and stay the night. Well, in this one area of St. Louis, I think it was off of 67. There was this big mini mall area that had like a White Castle that my family always stopped at. It was like didn't have them in Springfield. Yeah, no, yeah. So yeah. and then still don't. Right by there was like a big lots that my mom always liked to go to. And then in that same mini mall was a hobby shop, like a baseball card store. And it was probably the first one I ever saw where, whereas B and J Coin Shop, it was like a baseball card store ran by your grandparents. Like, everything was kind of, like, clean and tidy. Yeah, it was a nice and, facility, definitely. Like, this place in St. Louis was, like, Bob the Slob, like, ran it. And yeah. it was just, like... Upholding stacks. all of the stereotypes, like Simpsons comic book guy, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. yeah, it was just, like, <laughs> stacks of boxes of old wax packs everywhere. And just, yeah. like, you know, yeah. cases of Vincent Commons you could, like, spend, like, a week going through. Like, uh-huh. there were so many loose cards everywhere. And so I can remember that it being like one of the first, like, whoa, like, like there could be a dark side to the to the hobby. Like right. you could become yeah. a very easily. Yeah. <laughs> who needs who needs friends? I've got collectibles. You know, right, right. <laughs> are, are there any card shops currently in Springfield? There is still the Reader's World comic book store. Yeah. And I believe he does usually bring in a box or two of like hobby pack. Oh, that's okay. It's like there's a hobby product and a retail product. Mm-hmm. So like the store has the ability to get hobby boxes, mm-hmm. which have higher hits per box, which is more or guaranteed a, hits uh, per box. Yeah. 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 And so as far as I know, that's the only one. And um, other than that, you have to go to like Walmart and Target to buy baseball cards. Yeah. 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 Which is like a that's that's a pretty bad deal, isn't it? Because aren't um, aren't there the the dudes with the calipers going the digital calipers going in there to measure the card packs to pull out all the ones? You can weigh packs, but they've they've gotten they've gotten smart enough to where they realize like. They like insert now those blank cards that'll have like a security strip attached to it. Okay. Yeah. And so like they've kind of adjusted the weight some to where it used to be able to just like throw packs on a scale and it'd be like, oh, this pack's like three grams heavier than all the others. It's got to be something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's that that would have like a memorabilia card or an autograph card. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Nowadays, it's it's a little bit harder, but yeah, I mean, it's there's always going to be ways, you know. It seems like, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I mean, in, in Chicago, um, if I see them, it's it's usually alongside comic books, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there is here. I did look up, and he's over by Lincoln Square, and I think I've driven by it a few times, and just kind of was like, oh, I'm going to go in there sometime. There is a place called Tim's Baseball Card Shop. And it's exclusively baseball cards. Wow. Yeah, cool. Yeah, which, like, even for a city the size of Chicago is a rarity. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so I need to go in there and see him, man. Or, you, shit. I need to have him you, on the show. Hell, I don't know. You guys need to come down to Kansas City. We have a, a place called the Baseball Card Store. I think it's called. And uh, uh, it is, it's a combination of 
of of organization and kind of that that mess you were talking about, Levi, where <laughs> it's just it's boxes of stuff. It's labeled though, and but there yeah. there are also boxes of starting lineups um, uh, that you can sift through, um, and uh, you can find quite a bit. But if you ask, like, hey, I'm looking for you know like uh, this certain year and, and style, and then they got you know you kind of got to like look around to find their their big boxes of of you know like 2016 tops or something and sure. and, uh, and then you can sift through the comments and and uh, um uh find what you want although it's like it's a lot of hunting and pecking and I, I assume that they do a lot of their business on ebay um but it's interesting the few times i've gone in there the you know there will be guys in there just like buying those hobby boxes like you said levi and uh, just you know, throwing down a bill on a hobby box, right? Uh, to to find that hit, you know, to find that memorabilia card, uh, to immediately then like trade it in for more boxes, right? And, oh yeah, it's totally like yeah. it's almost like being addicted to scratch off tickets. <laughs> it's gambling, yeah. It's yeah. gambling, yeah. But but I, I am always kind of sad when you go to Target and all of the packs. You can tell that they've been sifted through and they're just a mess. And it's because oh, somebody's yeah. gone through every pack. Oh yeah, you can like, tell. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. So, but you know, if that's your only option, then so it goes. All right. Yeah. They always so, look well stocked when I go to Target. You know what I mean? Yeah, like they're yeah, not. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're yeah. not exactly flying off the shelves. Yeah, and sometimes you find them. It's like the the, the cards are like a year and a half old. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Well, and sometimes you can find deals on that. Like there was like they'll put cards on clearance. Like the top rep, the tops mm-hmm. rep will come through. Like I just got some packs like two days ago of football. And then, granted, these were Donruss, not Tops, but um, they were from Walmart, and they had clearance stickers on them. And so Tops or Panini, I guess, is who Donruss is now. They came through and put clearance stickers on hmm. them, and so basically, they went from like five dollar packs to three dollar packs. Yeah, yeah. Well, they were twenty eighteen um, Donruss football, which has Lamar Jackson rookie cards in it, and uh. so. I ended up pulling two of them, and one of nice. them was a short print. And nice. so I put them on eBay yesterday, and then he lost the game. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I probably won't even be able to sell them down. Ah, uh, no, I, he still did pretty well. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, his... like, that's kind of the neat thing about sometimes if you go to a Walmart or Target is they will have clearance packs because, like you said, not as many people are into the hobby yeah. anymore. Yeah, sure. And, like, if you find, like, 2018 tops update packs on clearance those could have like akuna junior rookie cards and stuff in them that are worth like hundreds of dollars right right yeah Yeah. like if i would have pulled yet in those packs of donruss a lamar jackson because it's the rated rookie it's a lamar jackson rated rookie so i pulled the regular one then i pulled a blue border like short print one well, there's also an autograph one. The autograph one is selling completed listings like twelve hundred bucks and up. Ooh, and man. so, yeah, these were three dollar packs of clearance cards. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Wow! Nice. Yeah, keep keep your eyes peeled. Do your homework. Keep your eyes peeled. I guess that's that's Levi's uh, suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So uh, I'm next, and and my next favorite thing about. Uh, 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 this is in the music category. Was the uh, Temple of the Dog reunion? 
this was back almost 10 years ago now um, at PJ 20 and uh, which was the uh, Pearl Jam's 20th anniversary show in Alpine Valley, Wisconsin. And uh, it was uh, it, it was it was a show with like a lot of bands on B stages. It was two nights. There were several headliners on the main stage at Alpine Valley. But, uh, you know, and, and it got me thinking about this reunion and like what, uh, you know, what made it so special. And, and you know, it, it's like there aren't many bands like Pearl Jam with so much history at its roots. And, you know, Pearl Jam sprung in part from the ashes of Mother Love Bone after lead singer Andy Wood died. And, and he was at the heart of the just about to burst Seattle scene in the late 80s. Uh, and so after he died, his good friend, Chris Cornell, uh, conceived of Temple of the Dog as a tribute to Andy. And he teamed up with some remaining members of Mother Love Bone and for one seminal track in particular, the heretofore unknown Eddie Vedder. And the album was released. I didn't realize this. It was Temple of the Dog was released several months before PJ's uh, debut album, 10. And though it didn't receive uh, really much acclaim until after Pearl Jam took off. And it was in 1992 that it gained traction. And, and, but the album can act as kind of the temple, of the dog album can act as this cathartic release of both the potential of mother love bone and the grieving of that fallen brother and musician in the mm-hmm. scene. And so when Pearl Jam references temple of the dog by covering hunger strike or reach down a concert, they're essentially like from, a fan's perspective, considering to a degree what might have been, which is really strange if you think about it. And, and Eddie singing those, Eddie Vedder singing those songs can come off as like a supremely reverential second husband or wife paying homage to like the spouse that came before him. Mm. And it's such an unusual situation. This is a vibe that it's, it's so rare to experience. It, it's, it, it's a vibe that's been relished by hardcore fans ever since that 10th anniversary show, I think it was, in Las Vegas, when they performed uh, uh, Mother Love Bone's Crown of Thorns for the first time. So when Pearl Jam 20 was announced 10 years later after that, um, the rumors were swirling about the Temple of the Dog reunion. And uh, But, you know, usually rumors like that are uh, rarely live up to their billing. But uh, at PJ 20, uh, it, it totally delivered. So, you know, from the the acts on the B stages to the headliners and the special guests, um, uh, Chris Cornell did uh, arrive and and sat in both nights with uh, during Pearl Jam's main set. Uh, and on on the first night, you know they did uh, Mother Love Bones, uh, Star Dog Champion uh, to begin, which is really uh, out of nowhere for from my perspective. Yeah. And then uh, uh, the Temple of the Dog songs were Sail Out to Heaven, Reach Down, Hunger Strike. And then on the second night, they also did Call Me a Dog, an all-night thing, uh, in addition to a couple other Temple of the Dog songs from the night before. And the, the over emotion of it was, like, so overwhelming, just between the excitement of hearing some of those songs live for the first time and uh, to the individual sentiment that I personally carried with those songs. And it's it's really still hard to believe that it happened. And, and again, I, I just think it's one of the most unique situations in, in the history of rock um, to experience. Yeah, no, you couldn't have said any of that better. Um, out of curiosity, what was the price for that ticket? Hmm. I went to one of those nights. I didn't get to go to both nights. I don't know for sure. Probably around 80 bucks. Yeah. No. Yeah, I'm guessing around 80 bucks. I well, can't for those of us living in the Midwest, we're lucky it came to us. You know, uh, yeah. I mean, that easily I would have been like, oh, that's going to be in Seattle. You know, I mean, yep. Yeah, I yeah. wonder how they ended up picking Alpine Valley. 
Um, it's a good question. I, I think that they were definitely shooting for something in the middle of the country to have you know the both the coasts come right. to a little bit easier. So yeah, you are know, favoring one coast over the other, and then for some reason it wasn't Chicago. Maybe because they wanted an outdoor venue. Um, well, Alpine's I, bigger I, than any amphitheater guys, in Chicago, too. I wonder and, what capacity is at Alpine Valley. I mean, uh, I know the dead place is it fifty plus. I think it's yeah. I think it's close. It can hold like close to fifty thousand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, thirty-seven thousand. Okay, that's Standard. still pretty big. Yeah. 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 Still a lot of people. Oh yeah, um, it's a ton of people. Yeah, and that lawn is so so huge and steep. It um. is. Oh yeah, that that'll be one of the things I'll never forget. I learned that at Further Fest two thousand. <laughs> it, it was. It, we were on the lawn that first the first night and. Uh, uh, that crowd got moving and it was, you were just caught up in a wave and you just kind of right. had to move your feet with it. You have to shuffle your feet Oh yeah, while it was moving during the heavier songs and there was nothing you could do. Yeah. Oh yeah. I remember we were in the lawn and it was, we were standing for so long that my calves hurt because like the incline of the hill. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a tough angle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I don't. I I doubt they're going to do a PJ thirty, but um, um, oh, yeah, there's certainly God, rumors gonna, of a new album coming up. That's God. That's making me feel. That's here like in like two year, a year, right? Yeah. 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 yeah there's yeah. some buzz around. Uh, looks like looks like a uh, you know they little activity on the Instagram pages and all that. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah. Cool. Well. Um, you know, I, is it okay if I if I jump ahead, for, guys, for a second? Like, one, I'm going to switch around the order of a couple of mine. You is that can all right? put them in whatever order you I want. I guess I can. Yes, right, right. Um, I hope. Uh, yes, right. Our listeners are just in an uproar right now. Um, but anyway, um, well, Jonathan was talking about the Midwest and um, the PJ show not going to Chicago, going to Alpine. Um, I'm I'm grateful for Illinois artists. Right. And I put in parentheses here beyond the Chicago blues, because I think that kind of goes without saying, you know, that, you know, people like Helen Wolf and Muddy Waters, you know, and um, Buddy Guy, their contributions to popular music are um, are are uh, eternal. And um, I, and and certainly I love the I, I I think I've discussed this on the show before, like I like what the blues inspired more than I like the blues itself, you know, like I like the rock music that, that it spawned, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm grateful that thank God Muddy Waters and was around and Alan Wolf. And, but like, I have to admit, I don't like, I'm always not like putting on like Muddy Waters records, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. just, just giving some context here, you know, like, um, but so like if you guys, had to pick like your top three musical acts from Illinois and we'll exclude the blues. Right. Um, because all those guys I said are more important than anybody I'm going to list after them. Even if I don't listen to, even if I listen to the bands that I'm going to list later more, um, I'll start, um, I, you know, Wilco is, is kind of a, a slam dunk for first for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one was pretty easy. After Wilco, it gets a little bit trickier. I'm going to go with Cheap Trick in the two slot. 
Um, and then for the three slot, um, I'm just going to go with their importance to me, and I'll say Steepwater. Uh, even though, God, I don't know if they, I don't know if they count because they're from Northwest Indiana. Um, <laughs> six, six, yeah. So, so I'll go with I'll go with Wilco, Cheap Trick, and Sticks. Who do you guys got? Who man from our, from our home state? You're springing this, springing this on us as I'm frantically scrolling through the Illinois Rock and Roll Wikipedia page. Well, I was gonna say. Um, I uh, one of mine would be Uncle tu- Uncle Tupelo out of Belleville. Right, uh, right. You know, there's Wilco born out of the ashes of Uncle Tupelo. You know, yeah, so yeah. Yes. Um, it's tough. Uh, maybe Ario Speedwagon. Yes, I, sure. I, would, I would. They're an honorable mention. For and me. then we'll do Head East out of uh, was it Mount Pulaski? Oh, are they from Appalachia? I think they're from St. Louis. No, okay. head, head East is like Pekin, Peoria, Mount Pulaski is where most of that. Okay. Because the first record, they recorded it in Pekin, and it's on like a little label out of there. Oh, nice. Okay. I did not I did not know that. Yeah, the Schlitt, the Schlitt brothers were from, I believe, Mount Pulaski. Yeah. I, for, I forgot about Star Castle from, uh, from Champaign as well. But anyway... Go on. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay. So yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, number one is definitely Wilco without a doubt. Um, and I would probably also put uncle Tupelo in there. Sorry for the, uh, repetition here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, uh, I didn't realize, uh, this, but I'm confirming it by visiting her, uh, Wikipedia page. Allison Krauss is from Decatur, Illinois. Yes. Good one. And, Good call. Uh, Gosh, rooted in a champagne. champagne. So, yeah. Allison yeah, Krauss. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Wow. I'm I'm a, I'm I'm a uh, Allison Krauss admirer for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of people are are gonna throw the Smashing Pumpkins in there, and um, I almost did for the lack of finding Allison Krauss. But yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Allison Krauss. Uh, I'm gonna make a declaration. She was like the country Nora Jones before there was a Nora Jones. <laughs> I like it. I like it. You know what comparison, I mean? yeah. Like, yeah, like yeah. the adult contemporary light country thing going She on. made it accessible, and she was kind of a yeah. crossover artist for me when I first heard her in high school. And when I, I was listening to nothing like that, and right. then I heard it, and I had to own some of it. And she, yeah, she made it very – she made country and bluegrass very accessible for me. Well, yeah, you, know where, did... you know where I first heard her was on Hoist on Fish's album. She, okay. she, sings, oh, right. she sings on If I Could, I Would. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, go ahead. She does, yeah. And yeah. Uh, it, it didn't hurt that like her entire band, Union Station, is all like phenomenal musicians either. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, like Liz Fair, really important too. You know, I just, I, I don't, I, I it's just, it, I'm not as familiar with her catalog. You know, I obviously, I, I, I like her, the her kind of seminal works. You know, but um, it's, uh, I don't listen to her enough uh, to. She's no sticks, damn it. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, but I have a lot uh, of appreciation like, for John Prine as well. Yeah, right, right. I forgot about Prine. Um, I'll throw a couple under the radar picks. Um, you guys, you guys know Mason Prophet, right? Oh yeah. Two hangman. Yeah, hanging from a tree. Yeah. yeah, they're Chicago. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Um, uh, well, uh, Mavis I, Staples. Mavis Staples. There you go. God, yeah. Um, uh, Riley Walker, who I like a lot, is from mm. Rockford. Yes, he is. Um, you know, uh, a great instrumental um, heavy band from Chicago Pelican. Curtis um, Mayfield. Curtis Mayfield. Yes. God. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the list goes on. And I, I mentioned my favorite, you know, I mean, I, we can argue, we can argue until the cows come home about who's the best. Um, but yeah, man, shit, I'll throw Kanye in there. I know he's crazy, but hell he's ours. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I like his first like four or five records. I, I, you know, so he's, 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 he, he probably gets a little more attention than he deserves, but, um, I, uh, I'll, uh, he's he's part of the story, so uh, so yeah. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'd be remiss to not mention Miles Davis, I guess, as well. Oh fuck, yeah, yeah, right, right. He's St. Louis. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Well, uh, isn't he from Alton? Yeah, says Alton on his yeah. way. God, yeah, yeah. I didn't mention Miles Davis. What the fuck, Gabe? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, you could, almost, you could almost put him though with the blues guys as like he's yeah, like too yeah. big right, to right. I mean, yeah. I'm talking like I've listened to Wilco, Cheap Trick, and Sticks more right. than I've listened to any of those other yep. people. Yep. You know? Yeah, so that's kind of what I have to go off. Yep. You know? Right on. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Anyway, um, so yeah, yeah, Illinois artist. Very nice. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit next about an album that came out in 1994 that I got and it seemed like everyone else did, <laughs> but, um, you guys might may, may not, uh, remember it. It was a band called the tractors. Oh yeah. And they, um, came out with their debut record in 1994 and it was by, uh, the leader of the band is a guy named Steve Ripley. Who's originally from Oklahoma. And, um, He's actually given credit as being the guy who coined the term Red Dirt when talking about Oklahoma music. Oh, yeah. And um, so Steve Ripley had been like kind of in bands and stuff and all around music and then started building guitars as well. And so he built guitars for like Steve Lukather, J.J. Kale, John Hyatt, Ry Cooter, Eddie Van Halen. Like some like pretty famous people, obviously. And then, um, so in 1994, he put together this band and it was kind of like him and these other studio guys or guys that were like touring musicians. And, um, they called themselves the tractors and they came out with their debut record. And in 1994, it broke the record for the fastest selling debut album to ever go to the fastest to go platinum by, by a group. No and, kidding. Uh, huh. Yeah. And so um, the band, the, the him and the other four members of the band, like their credits included, they had played with like Bob Dylan, Clapton, Bonnie Raitt, Linda Ronstadt, Leonard Cohen, Bob Seeger, just like Damn. like a who's who. of of. So these guys are all really talented musicians as well. And so um, two of the big singles off of it, the first was a song called Baby Likes to Rock It. I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember it, but yeah. the chorus the chorus was "Baby likes to rock it like a boogie woogie woogie choo choo train." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. And then uh, they have another song called "Trying to Get to New Orleans." And so, what was neat about it for me was coming from the Midwest in Illinois and listening to country at that time, which would have been like 
Garth Brooks and like Alan Jackson and Clinton Randy Black. Travis. Like the yeah. standard bread and butter country people of the time. It was so refreshing to yeah. see these guys come out. And their sound was like laid back, kind of like a little bit of a J.J. Kale meets New Orleans vibe to yeah. their sound. And um, didn't look like rock stars by any means. They, it's like a bunch of old guys playing in a band, basically, if you watch the videos. Yeah. And um, it just it was it was super refreshing at that time to to be able to have something different. And then it was also refreshing to see that it became popular so fast. Yeah. Like everybody caught on to it really quickly. Yeah. And then um, after this debut record, they did have a, a few more albums, one of which was a Christmas record that I highly recommend. Like you can sometimes find it in clearance bins, but it's a, it's the Tractor's Christmas album. It's excellent. But so, yeah, do you guys remember them at all? I do. I do. My mom had their first two CDs. Yeah. Um, which, which, which I'd assume are their most popular. Um, and uh, I, I kind of had the same reaction, Levi. Like, yeah, I, I, that was a period like would have been like around 93, 94. So, yeah. Okay. And like, I thought country sucked then. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, like, if yeah. you would ask me my opinion of country music, I'd be like, oh, that shit's for the <laughs> birds, you know? Um, and, yeah, I, I remember not hating it, you know, and then I listened to it again a few years later when I was in college, when I started, you know, mainly because of Graham Parsons, started listening to more country music because because Chris Robinson said Graham Parsons was cool. That's why I started listening to Graham Parsons, <laughs> um, in all honesty, um, you know, and that and, and I heard them again. And, and like, I, I remember popping in the CD Again, you know, like I was like, oh, like, well, I looked through my mom's CDs like, oh, I'm going to take this. And I remember popping it in my car and um, and and liking it, you know, appreciating it even more about, you know, five or six years later. So, yeah, fond memories of that one, too. It's, it's a good, really good record, too. I have never listened to it, and I'm looking forward to listening to it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, and what's funny is now when I go back and listen to it. It comes off as a lot more of like a dad, a dad rock record. Just, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, like it's yeah. just kind of got that vibe where it's like easy listening. You can just kind of yeah. zone out, do some work to it or whatever. Oh, what a crying shame. Yeah. Like Mavericks, yeah. 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 Oh, that's the Mavericks, isn't it? That is. Yeah, that yeah, is the, yeah, right, right. No, same era. And that was yeah. another good band that showed like country didn't have to be put into that box that they were trying to put like Clint Black and Garth Brooks and all those right. people in. Another, another, I mean, another act in that vein too that I think we've talked about on the show that I would throw in there was the Kentucky Headhunters too. For sure, yeah. Yeah, I remember not hating them either when I first heard them, and I, I really love, I really like, well, shit, I love it. Yeah, their first record a lot, picking on Nashville. So yeah, yeah that was, uh, those were kind of the bright spots in a pretty grim era of country music, kind of like around the time that a lot of it started to suck. So <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. Nice. All right. So uh, my next option, I'm going to I'm going to switch up my list a little bit here so we can touch on some more baseball now. And uh, one of my uh, the favorite memories was one of my first memories about really caring about sports, about being emotionally invested in sports. And I was 10 years old and uh, the 1990 Red Sox were trying to clinch the American League East and they 
Uh, we're uh, up against the Chicago White Sox, the final series of the season. And uh-huh. the Toronto Blue Jays were nipping at the heels of the Red Sox in the in the uh, divisional race. And so the, the Red Sox were um, I, I think it was I think it was the first game of this three game series with the White Sox uh, uh, had a chance to clinch. And uh, there was uh, Tom Bernanski was playing right field and there was a ball, uh, a, kind of a blooper hit. Uh, to right field and in the bottom of the ninth and uh, with two outs and uh, Brunanski is running towards it, lumbering towards it really. And uh, if you, if, if you can visualize Fenway park, you know, how it's, it's very uh, angular Fenway park is, and, and there's, there's weird turns in the walls. And uh, this being 1990, there was like two camera angles and uh He's running for the ball and he he slides feet first to to go catch it. And uh, he kind of slides out of view of the camera and the crowd erupts as if he caught it for the final out. And I remember there being a moment there as I'm sitting there as a 10 year old and I'm, you know, on the edge of my seat. You know, this is like the first time I've, you know, followed a pennant race. And, uh, you know, sports is about more than just like looking at the box scores. And now it's like I'm really emotionally invested. And they won, you know, like they, the announcers say, oh, I guess they won. You know, there's there's no replay, you know, um, uh, and it was I was so unsure and it was hard to believe. And it's like, is that it? Like, can they overturn this call? No, they can't overturn this call. And and it, it's it's just it's it's hard to believe that it's actually happened. They clinched the division. They're going to go to the playoffs. Um, but there was all this mystery surrounding that final play. And so it was mm. this, uh, it was that paired with this it was a gateway to yearning for similar moments occurring for all of my favorite teams in each sport every sure. year. And, uh, and, and I, I just wanted that feeling, uh, again and again. And, uh, you know, that feeling of, I, I find it interesting that that feeling of unbelievability never really goes away. That hasn't really happened. You know, when the, uh, when, when, when the Red Sox finally did win the world series in 2004, uh, when uh, the Royals won the World Series in 2015, uh, it happens. You watch it happen, and you know it's going to happen. Um, and it's still like hard. It's it's still hard to register um, and and feel a guttural emotion in the moment. Uh, uh, and uh, so I, I guess that uh, it's it, we're always chasing that dragon, you know. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. uh, and when it happens, you 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 might underreact in a way as we get older. You know, uh, I think only the Chicago Bears could make me uh, show real emotion if if they won a championship. <laughs> um, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I've I've seen my baseball teams do it. I don't really care about basketball enough. Um, uh, I've seen my hockey teams do it, and uh, I, yeah, I think that the the last. Um, uh, the last frontier would would be the Bears winning the Super Bowl and getting to 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 even come close to matching that emotion of the 1990 American League East uh, <laughs> clinching game and Tom yeah. Bernanski's catch. Um, and so, Levi, I who had hit, a question: Who hit the ball again to him? Uh, who hit the ball? It was uh, I'm, I'm I'm playing the YouTube video Some, here. Somebody on the White Sox. Yeah, it was somebody on the Lance Johnson, maybe Um, (laughs) Robin Ventura, Scott Fletcher. I'm trying to go to the whole 90 team here. Thomas was playing. Uh, Gosh, it wasn't. 
I see Jeff Reardon was on the mound. Uh, poor Jeff okay. Reardon. Um, and I'm trying to figure out who, uh, what number that guy is. Um, gosh, that's not was was Ozzy Guillen thirteen? It's yeah, he 13. was. Yep. it was yep. Ozzy Guillen. He would have been playing. He would have been playing. Yeah, so. yep. it's Ozzy yep. Guillen uh, taking pulling one down that uh, right field line. But so guys, when when the White Sox won the World Series, Gabe and and Levi won the Cubs World Series. That moment when the final out occurred and you won, like, what was your initial reaction? Was mine it audible was, or was like, it just I think I've t- touched on this in other episodes, but mine, I, mine was complete silence because yeah. I was watching by myself at this point because it was, you know, as they say, it may go down as one of the greatest game sevens of all time, but <laughs> I think I lost about 13 years of my life <laughs> yeah. in that game. So, yeah. um, it was shock and all, really. It was just like, I can't believe it happened. Like, like I've been waiting my whole life for this. It's been the hundred years, the curse, you know, it was. And then I, I'm just sitting there in the dark with the light of the TV. Just me. Like, I can't believe it actually happened. <laughs> so good it. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, mine is much different, man. It was, it was interesting circumstances. Um, my uh I, I had to teach that night, right? So I had an evening class and I uh, you know just there's only so many when you're when you're when you're teaching, there's only so many days you can take off, you know I mean it just it doesn't always work out. Um, and my class uh, ran until like 945, okay at night uh, PM Ooh. yeah. Yeah, and, so that's like the sixth inning at yeah, least. Yeah, so like I was, and I didn't have a smartphone, you know, and I don't think we were even in the computer lab that night. So I was just kind of like, fuck, I wonder what the hell's going on, you know? And um, we, I got out of class, and um, the college where I was teaching at the time was right over by the apartment that I I had shared with my now wife, but my wife and I broke up for about nine months. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, w- I was living in a nearby neighborhood. So I just called her and I was like, listen, you know, like I need to come over. <laughs> All right. Like, like I got to watch this game. And she's like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. You know, come on over. You know? So fortunately, like the dude she was seeing at the time wasn't there, you know? So, right. But, um, yeah, it's um, and my wife will be happy to hear this and, you know, say how stupid I was for breaking up with her for nine months. You know, uh, <laughs> we got back together now. You hear that? Honey? Um, but but yeah, so I just ended up going over to her place. You know, I was like, I, I got to go somewhere, you know, like I like we were still talking, you know, I mean, it wasn't it was like it was totally shut down. But, you know, we weren't we weren't together. You know, I was living mm-hmm. somewhere. That's wild. Yeah. So like I was like, I got to come up, you know, I'm, I'm, I got to come over, you know, this is going on right now. And so I, I caught about probably the last two innings at her house. Wow. And then, you know, I, I cried, you know, um, when it when it happened, uh, I did. I did shed tears. Yeah. And that right. show of emotion won her back. Yeah. Right. And we, then... we, we got back together about a month later. So, yeah. <laughs> And then I just, you know, I was calling people, you know, I think I called Jonathan probably. I called, yeah, I think I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I called, uh, you know, I called Whitehurst. People were calling me, you know, 
people I went to college with, people. It, it felt good. I mean, I mean, like in you know, there aren't a lot of White Sox fans in Petersburg. Um, I don't know any others other than my family, quite frankly. Um, and so yeah, people were calling me too. You know, so it yeah. was nice. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. You're, you uh, were their their token White Sox. Fan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I really think, had to make one call. <laughs> yeah, I think the first person I called was my grandma. Nice. You know, I called her. Nice. That was important. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I probably talked to a dozen people that night over the phone, you know, different folks. Nice. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that final game, uh, it was a it was a four game sweep, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that final game was one to nothing. The White Sox scored in the top of the eighth. Yeah. Because uh, the game was in Houston and it was yes. I'm, I'm it was the most manufactured run you can have. Um uh, let's see, top of the seventh, put runners on second and third. Let's see, oh, Uribe struck out. And then uh, against Brad Lidge in the eighth, Will Harris, pinch hit single. Yeah. Uh, Scotty Pods, uh, oh, yeah. Podsetnik, advance him on a sacrifice oh, bunt. Yeah. And then uh, uh, Carl T-Rex Everett. Yeah, uh, right, right, right. <laughs> uh, pinch hit for Iguchi and grounded out to the right side to move Harris to third. And then yep. Jermaine Dye, the MVP of the World Series, uh, had the game-winning single driving yep. in Harris. That, that was oh, the yeah. only run of, of the final yeah. game. It was good, too. Willie Harris was uh, a good role player. He wasn't, he wasn't getting a lot of action, so I was glad they got him in. Um, because when Iguchi came up, he lost his jo- starting job, essentially. Ah. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I liked, I liked him off the bench. He was versatile too. You could put, you could put him about anywhere. Um, so, so yeah, good stuff, man. Bobby Jinx closed it out, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Big yep. boy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, so, yeah. Nice. Oh, good one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Am I next? Uh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're at the 53 minute mark right now. So okay, if we want to do one uh, more round, yeah, well, let's that'll do probably one more do round. All right. Yeah. Um, gosh, let's see here. Um, Okay, yeah, I'll go with this one because it's. I think it's relatively short. Um, I'm, you know, I I don't have to like someone's music to like them. I know that's not like a revelatory thought, you know. But as I get older, um, uh, you know, I appreciate the people that make it. Um, so I'm I've I've got a list of musicians whose music doesn't really do much for me. But I think they seem like cool people, and I'd like to party with all of them or hang out with them. All right? And uh, I'm not talking about Kid Rock or anything like that, all right? So I'll, I'll list my people here, and maybe you guys have people that are similar. Like, their music doesn't do much for you. Um, I mean, I, I appreciate certain – that isn't to say, like, they don't have songs that I don't enjoy or that I – you know, but I I don't own – I've never owned any of their albums, you know? Okay. Yeah. Um, Dave Grohl, right, for one. And I'll say this in the sense I have owned Nirvana records, but um, let's let's talk about his foo, his post-Nirvana career, right? I've always I've always found the Foo Fighters a little overproduced and a little slick for me. A little anthemic. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I can appreciate some tunes on the first record, you know? For all the cows. Um, I only needed for all the cows. That was all I needed. Yeah, yeah This Is a Call is a good opening number. I'll give them that, you know. Um, but, yeah, since then, I, I've never, you know, I've never really gotten into it. And it's always been, like Jonathan said, a little anthemic and and little just, I, I don't know, just a little overproduced. But I like him as a dude I'm totally about, you know. I mean, yeah. he's he seems like like an ambassador for classic rock. He, he, he's a good, I'd love to party with him uh, or to shoot the shit. Uh, Jimmy Buffett, 
right? Like, I mean, they just got it figured out. I'm sorry, you know? Like, I wouldn't go see him in concert, and I don't really even... I, I like... I, I have to admit, like, I do like... Like, I, I do like some of his stuff before he became, like, the Jimmy Buffett we know today. You know, this big this big touring juggernaut that plays, you know, amphitheaters and, and arenas and stadiums. Um, I, I can get, I can get into like the, the mustachioed, you know, mid seventies, Jimmy Buffett, the, you know? the, the weed runner, the yeah, driving right. the seaplane. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Um, but yeah, but I, I, as a dude, yeah, I, I think I definitely, um, I definitely salute him. Uh, Dave Matthews, you know, it's always like a guy whose heart's in the right place. I just can't stand his music, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Garth Brooks, I like as a dude. I think he's, I think he seems like a really good person. Um, and I, I, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I don't think he's like a guy that like killed country music. Like he gets credit, like like sometimes he he gets blamed for. I'd blame that on Kenny Chesney uh, if I had to if I had to pinpoint somebody. Um, but yeah, I like him a lot. I mean, he's charitable, you know. Like he he was kind of like an advocate for LGBTQ rights before it became in vogue to do that, particularly in country music. Oh yeah. Um, you know, he does a lot of charity. Like he just yeah, I, I think he, I think he seems like a really good dude. You know, I, I always in interviews, I think he comes off as really genuine. He's a big Kiss fan, you know. Uh, but no, I I wouldn't want to. You know, I I never listened to his music. You know, other than maybe my mom had the cassette. You know, of Fresh Horses or whatever it was. Um, another one, Corey Taylor of Slipknot. I like him a lot. I think he's always like a really good interview. He's all about classic rock. Um, I saw Slipknot live, and I have to admit, I have not listened to one Slipknot song since I've I've seen Slipknot live, but. Seeing them live, and I went to go see other bands. It was part of a festival. It made me appreciate what they do. I I, I don't think they're slackers by any means. Uh, those guys were busting their asses the night I saw them. Um, and I, you know, I, I can't get into it really. And it, it just the guttural vocals don't do it for me. But I like him as a dude. If you ever read an interview with him, he seems really genuine. He seems he's funny. You know, like he's he seems really good. Um, and then another one, um, Celine Dion. I, you know, like another music I, her music is her, but she's funny. Like, um, she's just, she's a really good Instagram follow. Um, she can make fun of herself, can't she? she I, yeah, I she definitely. Will. Definitely. Yeah. She can make fun of herself. Uh, I just find her really, really charming. And, um, I, uh, yeah. So those are kind of like, I've got a list. She's Gabe's Helen Mirren, huh? Yeah. Right. So, yeah. 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 So, so yeah, those are, those are some folks like I, I, I'm really glad they're all around. Um, another one, he's not with us anymore. I'll add one more if I can. Um, the guy from Lincoln park, Chester Bennington. Um, I, I obviously this ended on a tragic note. Um, but I always thought, um, even though I, I can't stomach Lincoln parks music, uh, really at all. Um, he always seemed like a really genuine dude, you know, and sure. um, seemed uh, obviously, you know, had a lot of demons and uh, the world is the world is a hard place to live no matter who you are. So. Uh, so, yeah, I always I always um, liked him as well. He seemed he seemed um, like a genuine, fragile guy and uh, yeah, appreciated, yeah. appreciated yeah. him, even if I didn't dig the music. Yeah. yeah. So good. 
Good stuff. Um, I'm going to switch it over to baseball again. All right. Um, real quick for my last one. And um, I, what I was going to talk about specifically was wax pack wrappers. And the, the wrappers I, I, specifically. Yeah, I'm thankful that we grew up in a day and age where we got to enjoy wax packs. Mm. We, were, we were on the last cusp of it because I think by like 91 tops, they had switched to like that cello plastic type of a wrap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, score. right. Score had that. Yeah. Like just the whole, you know, you could go back probably from like the early 70s throughout to about. 85 is when they started to make the packs kind of look the same but have a different color but you know like like 85 86 87 88 tops like the packs kind of all look similar mm-hmm. but up until that point it was just like awesome little almost like pop art images on each pack every year mm-hmm. you know done in that comic book style of like dot matrix type printing and um i just i I still remember like carefully opening wax packs and then I would like flatten out the wrappers and keep them. um, It it was just, and then, you know, by what the late eighties, once like Fleer and score came out, they were in like cheap flimsy plastic, like packages right from the top packages. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, the whole, the whole wax pack thing was gone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, granted, they weren't for security purposes the, the no. best thing because no. guys could, like, you know, open the packs and then iron yeah. them back shut. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, P- you know, piece of gum that would break like your teeth whole, as well. Just, yeah. Like <laughs> I said, there's almost like a whole Warhol pop artness to that. Yeah, you're right. Especially if you pull up on a website and you can see all the years together, like all the packs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, they were just really cool. And, you know, I remember when I was getting out of it, like packs had changed so much that I remember I got a pack of these cards called Fleer Flares. That I, and I want to say hmm. this would have been like 93 or four, somewhere around there. Right when it was all starting to end, really. And by this know? point, it wasn't even a wax pack. It was a little cardboard box and the top of it like slid off and the cards were inside a just clear cellophane inside hmm. this box. Ah, that's too much. Yeah, it, and so it was like, yeah, you lose the whole, yeah. it just the ripping the wax packs type of a of a, a thing, you know. Well, baseball cards got too big for their britches there, Levi. <laughs> they did, buddy. They did. <laughs> I remember I it was about six or seven years ago. I ordered a couple t shirts from Tops website, and they were these retro t shirts, um, both baseball and football, and they came in. Uh, a package that was just like the wax packs you're talking about, Levi, where like you you unwrapped the the um, the pack that that the t-shirt was in, and awesome. uh, and, and you and I did just what you said, you know, you you unwrap it and like you you flatten it all out, and so it's like one uh, just just one flat piece, and uh, yeah, it's funny how that was like um almost like a fidget 
you would you would have the pack and and oh. you'd just be sitting there. You do it absentmindedly. You would you would open it and you'd flatten it out and just like uh, uncrease the the quarters with your fingernail and oh, yeah. flatten it out. Yeah. If I get <laughs> if I get another hundred of these, I can get the sports take along card carrier or whatever it was they were like they were trying to hawk on every pack. <laughs> <laughs> or like uh, remember the the cards? It was like you. You know, you're only getting so many cards in, in a pack as it is, and then you get one of those filler cards where it's like you may win or whatever. You're like, oh, the, the scratch offs. Well, that or I just remember also like there was a card. It seemed like you got in tops packs for years that like had a picture of a baseball, and it was like some contest or something. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah it was yeah, just right. like pack filler. You're like, ah, oh, goddamn. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> yeah, filler. <laughs> Waste my time with this. Yeah, yeah. That's all I. It's the only thing worse than a checklist, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, uh, oh, yeah. No, that's a good one. I, I like that detail, Levi. Um, oh, real quick, Gabe, to touch upon your uh, your last uh, topic. Um, I think I would say Justin Timberlake. Yeah, uh, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd hang with Justin Timberlake, but I'm I'm. I appreciate his music, but I'm fairly indifferent to it. There we go. Um, yeah, because I, I I I think he does have some good tunes too. You yeah. Know, so maybe yeah. that's why I didn't include him. But yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, um, yeah. Good, good, good call. I, I would put him in that category as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I guess then to close out our show for tonight, uh, my last, uh, ironically, my, my my next item uh, of uh, favorite things about about rock and roll specifically is the first song of a concert. And uh, so there are multiple variables that can that can spice this up and keep you guessing. And um, this is assuming you haven't checked the set list beforehand. But so the lights go down and there's that moment the lights go down and the crowd erupts and some bands will have like an intro tune um, and some bands will just come out to pure silence I don't know what you prefer. Um, some bands will come out and say, "Hey, how are you doing?" and and then they'll right. bust into the first song. And some bands will just they'll they'll play the first notes. Some bands won't even all come out at the same time, right? Like right. it'll just be like one member of the band, and then the next member comes out, and the next member, mm-hmm. um, and the song slowly builds as, and then finally, like the lead singer is shown on the the spotlight. And so, and then there's also this variable of it being is going to be a fast song or a slow song, and uh, so as a result, I have a myriad favorite openers uh, from my concert going experience. Um, uh, some notable, notable ones uh, like uh, Government Mules. Uh, well, uh, co- their cover of John the Revelator mm. uh, is one of my favorites. It's it's it almost starts out a cappella, um, yeah. yep. uh, which is very powerful, uh, in my opinion. And uh, and it's a slow burn. And, you know, that like it's going to you know, the show's going to kick into gear you know, during the next song, likely, mm-hmm. um, uh, Pearl Jam, uh, I think, uh, most fans consider release to be like their favorite opener. Um, I, I enjoy it as an opener and very much so, but you know, I might prefer long road, uh, as an mm-hmm. opener. That's a good um, one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've seen Tom Petty open with jam and me, which, uh, surprised me. I didn't remember that. I thought that was a good tune, um, yeah. uh, to open with. And then, uh, but one of my favorite might be the aforementioned Wilco opening with spiders, kid smoke, um, which is one of Open my favorites. It, huh? Yeah. Nice. One of my favorite songs of theirs. And, uh, 
it's uh, if 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 you aren't familiar with it, it's a it's a slow burn song and very angular and um, abstract and but it builds into something that's that's just uh, so intense that it it's uh, uh, it's almost overwhelming, especially to begin a show. And uh, so, yeah, those are those are some of my favorites. I wonder if you guys had any favorites off the top of your head and specifically Levi. What's this like as a sound guy? Uh, you you running sound at a concert uh, in your experience that that first song. Um, yeah, as if it's a band you've never ran before. <laughs> yeah, it's like the first song is chaos usually because you're, <laughs> like if you didn't have a sound check or sometimes even if you did have a sound check, the shit can change. You know what I mean? RF frequencies can change because a lot of times nowadays everything's wireless mics, and so like. Yeah, typically the first song you're like dialing stuff in still as a sound guy. So you're like not even hardly paying attention to the musicianship of anything. You're just mm-hmm. you're you're so focused in on trying to dial in the sound of it all. But um as as an audience member, you know, back yeah, I have to, it's like it's like the Bible, there's the BC and AD, like it, before I was a stagehand, my <laughs> concert experiences were totally different. Sure. Like, you know what I mean? Now, nowadays it's a lot harder for me to appreciate a concert just because I'm caught up in the whole production of it all. But, um, I would say one of my favorite openers Might have been when I saw Oysterhead, and I mean, they played their whole album live, basically, because they only had one album. They right. didn't have a ton of material to tour on. They're, do- but, they're uh, uh, getting back together, doing some dates this summer. Anyway, go ahead, though. No, that's cool to know. Um, yeah. But yeah, they're, they're, the first song off the record is called Little Faces, mm. and so it's, uh, it, it's a great opening number. It kind of gets you just into that vibe to where you know you're going to be funking along for the next hour or hour and a half however long the show was right and then um i'm trying to think you know as a a sound guy do you prefer a a a quieter song or a louder song to open to be able to get Um, dialed in honestly i think i would rather have the louder just that way you can set all your peaks and stuff right off the bat and to me to me it's easier to dial down and get more of that like intimate acoustic sound it's easier to dial that in than to like because you know when it's a fast song and everybody's playing at full speed and everyone's Mm -hmm. got their pedals all on and the drummer's going and you know what i mean it's i think it's better first right off the bat to because then you can set levels on everything basically mm-hmm. but then right but yeah i know i've done it though on other bands where it's like you know i'm gonna creep in on noodling on this little guitar part for the first couple minutes and then this person's <laughs> gonna kind of like come in slightly so you're mm-hmm. like you're like trying to mix everybody in and it's like well I, i'm only hearing like two people playing right now so you know <laughs> and so then it's like like when's the rest of the band gonna start playing and so then like everybody kind of eases into it and then you can get everything set wow all right 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 that sounds hard to do <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's really really yeah, i mean putting some science know, into it there yeah, yeah, yeah i mean you always want to try to have a sound check if you can and granted like you know big touring acts they typically always have a sound check 
sure. or they've done so much like those big touring acts do tech weeks where like they'll practice the whole tour, the whole show, the whole production for a week or two straight at a venue. They'll rent yeah, a venue right, and just practice the production. Yeah. Is it customary for acts to say if there is a soundtrack to to say this is going to be our first song, just so you know? Um, Typically, like road acts will travel with their own audio crew now. Sure. So those guys, you know, yeah, they they talk with them and, you know, they'll be like, here's their set list or whatever. Um, When you're not dealing with people that have their own sound men, um, yeah, it can sometimes they're nice and they'll tell you what they're starting with or like the best is when like you'll get stuff going and they'll be like oh i have all these tracks i gotta Mm -hmm. play with too oh yeah so like you know like whatever drum tracks or whatever horn parts or whatever whatever but it's like so then you're like concentrating on having to like play these parts at the time when they want, you know, I mean, you're having to coordinate when they want these tracks played and everything. And so that can be a headache. All right. Gabe, you got a favorite opener? Um, yeah, I think I, well, I mentioned the show earlier in this episode, but when I saw kiss in 96, um, I was in the 13th row, but it was to the side. It was, um, lower bowl 13th row. And, um, They've got the big black curtain that, you know, they drop um, when Deuce plays. They were Deuce has been a common opener with Kiss over the years, particularly back in the 70s. And um, I saw them. Uh, I, could, I could see behind the curtain before it dropped. Right. Just to where I was, you know, where oh, my cool. seat was. Cool. And I kind of almost and God, you know, it was just like seeing comic book heroes um, I kind of almost like saw them get into character, you know. Huh. Um, so that was really cool, and obviously seeing Deuce, but even the the run up to it, just yeah. for those you know fifteen seconds or so that I saw them, kind of you know, transform into Kiss, yeah. uh, was really special. That's that's pretty unique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah that that one comes out. You know, I I, I have to look at some set lists, man. Honestly, sure. otherwise. I mean, uh, we, we I, I would say we've all three, at least at one time, seen a pretty good No Speak, No Slave opener, right? Sure. I mean, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I the crows, the crows used to open with that a lot, and I yeah, mean, that, back that in was like always, '82, and so that yeah, was dude. always a, a burner. You know, oh I god, mean? yeah. You'd be like, you know, it's going to be a good show when they bust that out. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, good stuff, nice. guys. All right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, remind everybody again. Off. Yeah, check out rockchew.com for all of uh, our previous episodes and and fun-related items. And then follow us on the Instagram and the Twitter. And also, um, you can like us on Facebook and uh, listen to us a lot of different ways. YouTube, Apple Podcasts. um, Google Play. Google Play. And that was rockchew.com. Rockchew.com, as in baby likes to rock it like a boogie-woogie choo-choo train. train. There you go. There you go. I was waiting for the right (laughs) one, and you got it. So, um, uh, you know, it happened recently, so I'll just say it. Maybe this will be for a future episode, but rest in peace, Neil Peart. Big loss to the music world uh, earlier this week, so uh, hats off to that guy and and, uh, uh, thoughts with his friends and family and fans. So, 
RIP, Neil. Anyway, until next time, uh, we'll see everybody soon. Take care. Good night. Peace.